I landed in this foreign country, I fire up my email and I've been fired. Um, terminated without cause. And there I am. I've been doing it for five months. I've given up a full ride scholarship to UCLA. Uh, I've given everything I could to this company, slaving away. And I've been betrayed. You know, I, I got fired, no equity, and I'd never, I'd never made a dime. I, you know, hadn't taken a single dollar in salary. And it was a wake-up call for me, you know, that things on the outside the military are a little bit different. So that was kind of my welcome to the world moment. That's Jake Wood. Like millions of veterans, he found reintegrating into regular life daunting. When you're in the middle of a war, your sense of purpose is so clear. But back on home soil, reality can be harsh. He'd acted in good faith and was betrayed. Jake felt lost. I'm David Fisher, and you're listening to Three and a Half Degrees, an original podcast from Facebook. Our ability to connect has never been stronger. We're no longer six degrees apart. Today, thanks to technology, it's just three and a half degrees. This fundamental shift is leading to profound changes for our society. For businesses, it means customers, employees, and new ideas, they're all more accessible than they've ever been. And that creates opportunity, but it also means operating differently. This podcast will investigate the changes impacting society and business as the world becomes ever more interconnected. Each episode will tell the story of two entrepreneurs, leaders who are seizing on the opportunities that this dynamic new world presents, and then will bring them together to explore their learnings and how we can apply them to our life and work. While most of us don't have to worry about life or death situations in our jobs, there is a common thread that connects military life and corporate life, chaos and uncertainty. Every industry faces it at one time or another. And whether a business rises or falls during the chaos often comes down to leadership. Before Jake served in the military, he had a different career path. A whip-smart college freshman, he'd received a football scholarship and had dreams of playing in the NFL. And then, 9-11 happened. It was all Jake could do to not quit school and enlist right then. This was kind of the first war where you could watch it unfold from the comfort of your living room. And so sitting there watching young 18, 19, 20-year-old men and women my age, um, just without the privilege of a college football scholarship, kicking indoors in places like Fallujah, it really gnawed at me. So as soon as he graduated, Jake joined the Marine Corps. His first deployment was into the middle of one of the bloodiest battles of the Iraq War. The area that we were in was known as the Triangle of Death, and this was during the surge. And so this was the, the bloodiest year of the war in the bloodiest province. Um, so it was a tough tour. Jake became a scout sniper, graduating at the top of what's considered the toughest and most elite training course in the military. Scout snipers enter enemy territory undetected. They're master marksmen, able to hit targets from long range. His battalion came under constant siege. He watched friends die in front of him. 
months turned into years, with back-to-back tours in Iraq and then Afghanistan. Four years after his first deployment, Jake finally returned home. Yeah, so when I got out, I mean, I instantly realized that I would never be as awesome as I was, you know? So I, the first thing I think was just saying, okay, Jake, so now what? Um, and, you know, I wanted to do something exciting and I figured, you know, it's 2009, uh, Facebook and Twitter are on fire. And I thought, you know, that's that sounds exciting. Something in tech or in, in, in the startup world. And that's what I wanted to do. So I, um, knowing that nobody would take me seriously as a sniper, I decided I'd go get my MBA, try to build some credibility up, um, hopefully hitch my wagon to some other star that had a, you know, a, a great idea. While bettering his prospects, a 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit Haiti. Hundreds of thousands were killed, more wounded. Infrastructure was decimated. It was a humanitarian crisis. Watching it all unfold on TV, Jake felt a familiar tug, an instinct to run into the danger zone and do what he could to help. So on a whim, he went online to see if anyone else was feeling the same. But I said, I'm thinking about going to Haiti. And within moments, a couple of friends called and said they were in. One of the first to respond was Clay Hunt, Jake's best friend. They'd served together in Iraq and Afghanistan. Jake and Clay gathered a team of eight buddies, mostly ex-military guys. They called themselves Team Rubicon. And within days, they were on the ground in Haiti. Sarah Linger is Jake's older sister. It's just kind of the kid he always has been. When he was looking at the footage of Port-au-Prince from his comfort of his home in California, he realized that Port-au-Prince looked a lot like Afghanistan, except no one would be shooting at him if he went down there. The team set up mobile triage clinics. They cleaned wounds, amputated limbs, delivered babies, organized volunteers. The work was exhausting, but they found it incredibly fulfilling. And in the midst of all the bedlam, Jake felt a flicker of inspiration. You know, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe this team could be more than just this one week or two weeks or three weeks that we're going to spend in Haiti. Maybe we can build an organization that's doing this, using military skills to improve disaster response. When they finished in Haiti and returned home, his friend Clay pulled him aside. He'd really been struggling with PTSD and you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and, and he said, this is more powerful. This is more helpful to me than anything the VA has done for me. Clay's words resonated. The relief work satisfied something in Jake, too. That sense of pride and purpose he feared he'd never have again. But with Team Rubicon's work in Haiti over, Jake turned his focus to getting his MBA and a so-called real job. It didn't take long for Jake to land his dream job with a medical startup. It was an investor-backed, great idea, real opportunity for scale, and the opportunity to have a positive impact in the world. He left business school after the first semester and threw himself headfirst into the company. He even agreed to defer his salary while they secured investors. But all of that goodwill soon backfired when the owner abruptly changed course. 
I got fired, no equity, and I'd never, I'd never made a dime. Blindsided, with nothing to show for it. But that wasn't even the end of Jake's troubles. Things went from bad to worse. Two weeks later, my best friend and sniper partner, Clay Hunt, committed suicide in Texas. Um, and we'd been roommates, and I was the best man in his wedding, and, um, you know, was there when he was wounded in Iraq. We were blood brothers in every bit of the word. The walls started coming down all around me. You know, life, life was really punching me in the face. Slowly, and with a lot of help from his family, Jake moved past his despair. He turned his focus again to Team Rubicon, and he realized it could be more than just a hobby. Jake began to see it for what it really was, an opportunity to lead an organization that saved lives and gave purpose, not just to himself, but for other veterans like him, like his friend Clay. Since Clay's death, we've grown to about 80,000 volunteers in the United States. Um, we've responded to over 250 disasters around the world and here in the U.S. We, you know, run um, tens of thousands of training sessions every year. Um, and the scale has been pretty profound. I think we have the opportunity to really disrupt that space. And what we're seeing is that there are not only measurable outcomes, of course, for the people that we're helping after disasters. That's very obvious. There's real measurable, quantifiable impact for the veterans who are doing the work. And we see that. We see these positive psychosocial outcomes where um, they report higher levels of personal resilience, higher senses of purpose and community. That sense of purpose, it's a universal need. For so many of us, personal fulfillment and identity are directly tied to our work. Jake more or less stumbled into what's now a vital stopgap to assist NGOs in disaster response efforts. A new venture, but at the same time, a familiar one. Jake acted on instinct and quickly recognized that Team Rubicon could fill an important hole. It's the kind of business model that needed someone who thrived on risk. Someone like Jake. You're listening to Three and a Half Degrees, an original podcast from Facebook. I'm David Fisher. Victor Lazama is also a former Marine. And he knows a thing or two about risk. Like Jake Wood, Victor's story starts in Afghanistan. Victor could fly and fix any aircraft. He was the go-to guy for anything that broke. He'd spent 10 years as an avionics technician and another 10 as a test pilot. My skills went from taking apart record players and tape players to taking apart a million-dollar box, you know, that has a 14-karat gold processor chip in it and working on F-18s and Harriers. So it, it was something that I enjoyed since I was a kid, and here I am now putting those skills to use on a multi-billion-dollar machine, and it was awesome. It was very fascinating. At 38 years old and after 20 years of service, Victor was on the cusp of retirement. Yeah, this was October. And I was leaving in December. Late one night, about a month before he could go home, his squadron received a call. Enemy fire. Helicopter down. 
So one night we had this helicopter go down. Uh, we call it a fallen angel. When a fallen angel occurs, no matter where it's on Iraq and Afghanistan, it goes all over the radios. A Taliban rocket-propelled grenade had struck the Chinook helicopter. It knocked out the electronic flight navigation and badly damaged the aircraft. The pilot was able to make an emergency landing, but in enemy territory. As long as the helicopter is there, they can't leave. It has a lot of top-secret information in it. There's a lot of equipment in there that we just cannot leave. Destroying it wasn't an option either, because it was near a village. The most urgent question at the moment? How to get the chopper out. So I was the test pilot on duty that night, and when I heard the fallen angel, uh, I went to headquarters, and so I'm telling myself that I can fly this thing out and under heavy fire in at night with no instruments inside. No lights, no nothing. It's called blackout. Imagine, like you see on TV, a command post with all these screens of TVs. Everyone's on the phone trying to figure out what we can do. So in the back, I'm, I'm sitting there and, I, and everybody's talking and just like in a nonchalant voice, I'm like, I was like, sir, I can fly that out. And everything stops. It's like a record scratching, right? And everybody turns around and my commander's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I can fly that out. Vic is the kind of guy that would never ask somebody to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And besides that, he was probably one of the most or the most qualified person to go out and recover that aircraft. That's Army helicopter pilot Alec Jedkowski. If this mission stood any chance of success, Victor needed Alec with him. I would say this was probably the most dangerous thing that I did personally. They got the green light from top brass. But before they set out, Victor needed to do one more thing. He had to call his wife, Rachel. I was not surprised at all. This is just what he does. This is, he sees a problem, he knows the solution in his head, and so he's going to fix it. Whatever it takes to do so, he, he's going to do it. And he wanted to let me know that it was an extremely dangerous mission. Um, and the more he progressed, the more you know, he actually started to cry and let me know that he may or may not ever talk to me again. And he just wanted to make sure that I knew that he loved me and um, how proud of me he was. And we did a lot of crying. I cried a lot. I cried a lot because, I, again, I just did not know. I just had no idea what the outcome was going to be. I was scared. Victor flew in with Alec and a small team on a Blackhawk. He'd brought an elaborate jumper cable cart, which was his one shot to start the chopper and fly it out. We ran in. It was under heavy fire. Uh, I started the helicopter once. The, the starter actually got stuck on so we had to turn it off, turn it back on, and all this took place in less than 30 seconds. We were really just relying on Vic's experience to look at all the indications in the cockpit and say, yes, this thing is safe for us to fly, or, or no, it's not. Uh, once we made that determination, uh, we got out of there. We lifted off, flew back. We had the Apaches and my fellow 58s were there guiding us because we had no electronics, we had no lights, we had no nothing. We had no navigation. They made it to a nearby base. Success. And now, Victor could go home. And he would go home a hero. But once back home, the transition was bumpy. Like many others, he struggled with PTSD. Finding work was tough 
and he could not understand why. Here he was, highly skilled, yet practically unemployable. Then one day, about a year after he'd been back, Victor had one of those light bulb moments, an idea that would combine his passion for fixing things with the leadership skills he'd honed during his years in the military. And it just clicked. He couldn't wait to tell Rachel all about it. Hey, I'm thinking about uh, starting my own business. And, she, and you can kind of tell when she pauses and she's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and then she's like, what do you mean? So I go into details. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, starting my own computer repair. I'm pretty good at doing that. You know, I was like, um, you know, our little town has maybe two or three, but nothing big. I was like, um, and she was like, you know, we're pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was like, I know. We opened up a brick and mortar downtown, really beautiful place. So it was a different concept than anybody else ever had. I wanted to work on the computer right there in front of you. I wanted to do the soldering right there in front of you. I want everything out in the open. Victor channeled his energy and expertise into the business. Like Jake Wood, the challenges of readjusting to civilian life faded away as he rediscovered his own sense of purpose. I, I get a thrill. It's crazy. I, I get a thrill. I, I get a rush. From, from fixing, from bypassing an obstacle and succeeding on the other side. It's just a weird thing for me that I just, I feel like the adrenaline that I had from the military has carried over to the civilian world. And I wanted to make that for something good, if you will. And by good, Victor isn't just talking about fixing people's cell phones and laptops. He also trains and hires veterans to work in his two stores. And he's launching The Barracks, community center in his hometown to help vets adjust to civilian life. Jake Wood and Victor Lazama have never met before today, and they have no shortage of things to talk about. They're ex-Marines, they're entrepreneurs, and they have deep passion for what they do. Jake and Victor took the skills they honed in the military and applied them to the business world. So now, my favorite part of the podcast, reducing three and a half degrees of separation down to one. But one of the questions I wanted from you was, um, and by the way, congratulations on Team Group Economy. Um, you guys, what, 2010 is when you started yeah, all this, yeah, right? Yeah, it's been about Pretty eight much? years. And yeah, eight years in such a short time span, you guys have excelled in this, which is amazing. Um, but when you first got out, or even before you were getting out, what was your original plan? What, what did, I mean, it couldn't have been this, yeah. obviously. So what, what was your original plan? You know, it's plan? funny. I, I was getting out and I, and I thought to myself, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur as, as if like entrepreneur is a job. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, it's, that's not a job. Like entrepreneurs need an idea. They need a business. They need a concept. And, and I, I guess I, you know, I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't know what it was going to be. So how'd, how'd you create this path for you then that brought you to Team Rubicon? I mean, it was total serendipity. I, you know, the, the Haiti earthquake happened in January 2010, three months after I got out uh, of the Marine Corps. We were running these medical triage clinics um, in the city. It grew from eight to like about 50 or 60 people over the course of two weeks. And, um, and it, but it, it was wild. I mean, it was th- that first week on the ground in Haiti was probably the worst thing that I'd seen. But it, it also... You know, it taught, it, it revealed to me that what I learned in the Marine Corps was transferable to other things. You know, that leadership is universal, uh, risk assessment and mitigation is universal, the ability to, you know, that, that, that bias for action that people in the military tend to have um, can be the difference between winning and losing, like not just on the battlefield, but in other, other avenues of life. You know, I read a little bit on what you're doing um, 
in Oklahoma, right? Correct. Yes. And you know, it's 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 like it's identifying gaps, exploiting them, um, being foolish enough to think that you can't lose, right? When I first opened my first store, uh, I kind of used my my military background. You know, let's do a recon. What's out there? You know, how can you make it better? You know, what can we do that others can't do? On top of that, um, our reputation was was the biggest thing. You know, um, what 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 can we do to make things better? And on top of that, how can we continue to be the better guy on on the field? So I came up with the concept of the barracks, which I wanted pretty much a one stop shop. I wanted every veteran to be able to come to one facility, whether you had questions about your GI Bill, your medical claims, hell, if you had questions about, uh, you know, how do I reenlist or just a- anything that had to do with the military version, I wanted us to be able to mentor our fellow veterans and to be able to be there for them and give them the right direction and the right information, not just giving them a web page or giving the 800 number that you go to, which is horrible. And um, heck, even the VA webpage, which... I'm a tech guy, and that page is horrible to navigate yeah. through. There's just so much information, right? So I wanted to break it down, you know, as simple as possible. The caveman mentality, you know, like like infantry, like grunts. Yeah, Barney you know, style we, we is what do. we called it in the Marine Corps. <laughs> exactly. They break it down for me, Barney, Barney style. style. <laughs> exactly. In the Army, we say caveman style. So what we want to develop is a way to where we can educate these veterans, get them off the streets, get them to be back to be proud. And I, and I saw that you guys are doing that now where you're trying to reintegrate these veterans back in the civilian yep. world because a lot of them need to get repurposed. Yep. They need a purpose, period. From your world and my world, you know that when we're part of a platoon, a company, um, anything, that we're part of a family. And that part of the family, you know, whether you suck or you're stellar, everybody still has your back. Yeah. I can only imagine the uh, the chaos that you guys, in, in Haiti, especially in Haiti. But what do you think kept it together while you guys were in Haiti? Do you think it was leadership of not just yourself, but your fellow Marines, your fellow servicemen that helped you guys out down there, that somehow in that chaotic world, it all came together and still worked? I, I think um, I think that's a good question. I When I talk about those things, I, I try to always reinforce to people that, Chaos and uncertainty are are universal, regardless of what industry or sector you're working in. So, you, know, you could be in banking, you could be in tech, you could be in uh, you know service industry. Um, with you know the, the pace of technological disruption, with the regulatory environment, with the political environment, you know that chaos and uncertainty rules the day. Um, what's what's the difference for teams that succeed and teams that fail? I think it's. It's like, what's the vision of what you're trying to accomplish? What's the culture that you have in place that guides decisions in the absence of orders? Um, you know, how are you empowering your leaders on the front lines to make really critical decisions in a timely way without having to, you know, revert back for for guidance? And uh, you know, if you can build an organization that has that type of DNA, um, then you can succeed. That's awesome. Well, Jake, I appreciate it, man. You, you've given me a lot of stuff to take over to our organization and help out as well. Likewise, man. Victor, uh, thank you for your service, man. 20 years to America. We owe you a debt of gratitude. I'm still young. I'm still a baby. I'm still young. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. All right, man. Take care. Semper Fi, Devil Dog. Semper Fi, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Victor. Thank you. Have a good Being time. an entrepreneur is tough. Jake says it's a toss-up as to which is harder, being a CEO or a Marine. Disaster zones, they don't intimidate them. But starting a business did. Either way, it's a daunting task to keep your troops motivated. Whether actual troops, your office staff, or your 80,000 volunteers. 
One stat says only 15% of employees come to work engaged and ready to do their best. So how do you change that? Keep it simple. Or as the Marines say, you break it down Barney-style. Businesses that consistently communicate and act on their core values, they're a magnet for employees who share those beliefs. That clarity attracts loyalty and breeds fulfillment. A lot more than free food or foosball. Retired General Colin Powell says it better than me. Leadership is all about people. It's not about organizations. It's not about plans. It's not about strategies. It is all about people. Motivating people to get the job done. You have to be people-centered. Three and a Half Degrees is an original podcast from Facebook. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Three and a Half Degrees, The Power of Connection. That's Three and a Half Degrees, all spelled out. For more information and a look behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at Three and a Half Degrees. I'm David Fisher. Thanks for listening.